0: Last week, uh, the first Sunday of 2018, we were talking about a new life. A new life has begun. That we're a new creation, that we have a new purpose, and we looked at that out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This week, I, I wanted to kind of continue the, the New Year theme. In fact, this week and next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same thing. I was looking at this chapter uh, that, to be honest, I haven't—I hadn't looked at it in a while. Proverbs chapter three. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be camping there for the day, the whole day. We'll be here for hours. Yeah. So, um, as I as I started reading this chapter, it just. Uh, it just did something to me it's It's like uh, it's just very powerful, very practical, um, but yet really life changing if we can really sink into the words that Solomon wrote in this chapter. Um, I actually started off this week thinking that I was going to get through the entire chapter this morning, and then I realized that I was biting off way too much, so I have. Half my sermon ready for next week. Wonderful for me. As I got going on it, I, I realized that there was so much here, and I didn't, I didn't want to skip a lot of things. So we're going to look uh, at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and then next week, we're going to finish this chapter. Uh, how to have a better life. That's what, write this down, Steph. Don't ask me. How to have a better life, okay? This is it. You'll find it on the website first thing Tuesday morning, but don't need to listen to it if you listen to it now, all right? So Proverbs chapter 3, how to have a better life. Do you want to live a better life, like honestly? Yeah, like you, you do, right? More than six of us? Like we want to live a, a better life. All of us have that idea uh, that we want to. Do you actually have some ideas as to how you could do that? Things in your life that if they were changed, if, if, if it was different, your life would be better. Um, I'm sure you do. Now, like I said last week, January is the most popular month of the entire year for people to make changes in their life. And so here we are still uh, in the middle of January, and so we're still kind of thinking about that, I think. We have a whole new year ahead. Now, almost all of our desires... Uh, for a better life. All of our desires they, uh, to change things, they, they generally fall into three categories. Did you know that? They, they generally fall into uh, either a health category, a wealth category, or a happiness category. And almost like when people make a resolution or they want to do this or do that, they'll generally fall into one of those three things. Like you want to lose weight and get more active. You, you want to save more money. You want to spend less, you want to get out of debt, that's always a big one, right? Also, um, people want to increase their level of happiness. People are looking for a way to have a better life, to enjoy, uh, just enjoy living in a greater way. Now, Solomon is recognized as probably the wisest person that ever lived. And so, it, it, it makes him worth listening to, don't you think so? There's probably something that we can learn from the smartest guy who ever walked the planet. So as we look at Proverbs chapter 3, keep your mind open and stay practical and pragmatic and and think about these things and how we can incorporate these things into our lives, into my life, into your life, to to have a better life. Solomon sort of lays out this road map. On how to have a better life in proverbs chapter three it's it 's an amazing chapter he'll uh, just before we read it you he, 'll find the whole chapter like this almost not the entire chapter, but a big chunk of it is he 'll say something and then and then like if you if you live with this in your life, then this will be the reward if you if you do this then this will be this will be the result if you See, if you live this way, then this will happen to you. And it just goes on and on and on all the way through the chapter. It's, it's amazing. So let's look at it. Uh, Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, it's on the screen. It says, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Here we go. Now, now verse 2, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Then the next one, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then what? Then you will find favor with God, with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And we'll stop there. We want to live a better life. All of us do. Now, making changes to our lives is never easy. But I want to suggest to you today that if you're a believer in Jesus, you have an advantage. Uh huh. You have an advantage. You already know who the advantage is, right? We can make changes, making changes is never easy. Uh, especially the, the bigger changes, they're tough. We, we don't like making changes sometimes, but a believer in Jesus has an advantage. We not only have our own strength and our own willpower and all the regular things that everybody else has, but we have the helper who lives with us, the Holy Spirit. We have the help and the strength and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us. In fact, he lives within us. And there is power available for us to transform things in our lives that need to be changed. He is that kind of a God. He doesn't want us to stay the same. Amen? He's, you know, the thing that we say, we want to live a better life, we want to have a better life, and I want you to know God wants you to have a better life too. He wants you to be better. Now, his idea of better may be a little different than yours, maybe not though. He wants us to live great lives. He wants to do some transformation in us. We can do all things through Christ. So, what's your goal this year? What's your idea? Is it a health idea? Is it a wealth idea? Is it a happiness idea? Whatever it is that you'd like to see, what what, what needs to be changed in your life to have a better life? I'm telling you, believer, you have the ability to do it. You can do all things through Christ. Look at, um, put up for me verse one and two, and let's just start with this. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. This is a wonderful promise. Don't you agree? That, that you, if you live by the commands of God, what are the results? The results will be a long satisfying life. Now, some of you, uh, if you have NIV or other versions of the Bible, they'll actually say the word prosper, that you'll live long and and have a prosperous life. And isn't that really what we all want? I know sometimes we get freaked out with the word prosper. Just get over it, okay? But but isn't really that what we want? We want to live a long, rich, prosperous, satisfying life. Not, not selfishly, but for the kingdom, amen? This is, this is in us. This is okay. Some versions say you will prosper. The promise is clear, that if you live by his commands, here it is. I wish I had said this. I, I, I read it somewhere, so I, I can't take credit for it but, it, but it applies right here. He says right here basically this. He will add years to your life and he will add life to your years. This is what he says. You will, you will live a rich, satisfying life, a long, satisfying life. You will live a long, prosperous life. So he's saying, listen, I'm gonna add years to your life and I'm gonna add life to your years. <laughs> In fact, it just reminded me, how do you do that? Live long and prosper. I can't do that very well. Yeah. Is there no Trekkies out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live long and prosper. I think Spock was quoting the Bible. He didn't know it, but yeah. This is the promise that he begins. He says, listen, if you live by my commands, I'm going to add years to your life, and I'm going to add life to your years. This is what he says. So what what are some of the key commands that we also need to follow to find a better life, to find this satisfying, prosperous life? Look at verse uh, 3 and 4. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. So just keep that up for a second. So it's important that Solomon starts right here. So first he says, listen, follow the commands of God. And if you do, you're going to live a great life. Now, what are some of the commands that you need to follow? Well, here's one here. How about, how about starting with loyalty and kindness? Uh, again, some versions, some uh, other versions that you may have will say faithfulness and love. So loyalty, faithfulness, love, kindness, it's really all the same thing that he's talking about here. These are basically core principles that if they're lived out in your life, It will lead you to live a better life, that they are foundational kind of things that must be in place in our lives. Um, I mean, what would it look like? What would it look like? You know, we we say, uh, you know, if the world had more love, how much of a better place would it be, right? If, If more people had faithfulness and love or loyalty and kindness as foundational elements in their life how much different would our world be, right? It would change a lot of things. It would change how we act. It would change how we react. It would change how we respond. It would change how we view people. It would change a lot of things in our world if we had these things deep in our heart. See, because understand that a person who's filled with loyalty or faithfulness and love and kindness, they're naturally going to build other qualities on top of that as well. This is just the foundational type stuff. Like a person who has these kind of things, right? If a person who's loyal and kind, faithful and loving, you'll notice people like that will have more patience. It's true. They'll have more patience with others. They'll have a gentle, humble attitude. They'll have uh, the ability to forgive freely. They'll have the ability to express love and to love freely. I mean, who doesn't like a person like that? This is what Solomon is saying. If you have these things as core foundational principles in your life, if you live like this, he says, you're going to find favor with God and with people. Everybody likes a person like that, right? You earn a good reputation by living a life like this. God, you know, if God could only, if we could only receive this as, a, as the very foundation of how we live, may God bless us with the ability to keep love and faithfulness, loyalty and kindness as the foundation of our lives. We would live a better life. And so he starts there. Second, five and six. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, I know people, these are famous verses that a lot, of, a lot of people will quote and a lot of people will know. But understand that first, he starts off with never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Second, he says, trust in God. This is another core principle that will lead us to live a better life. Trust in God. It, 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 it's, uh, it's such a foundational thing that we can't put all of our confidence in our own understanding. We, we, can't, uh, we can't just trust everything that we think and everything that we know. There's, our confidence and our trust must be in the Lord and not just in ourselves. So he's not saying, by the way, that you turn off your brains, that you disregard common sense or your own experience. Of course not. But what he's saying is, is that to, to depend on yourself alone It's not enough at times to discover the will of God. And and when you trust in God and let him lead you and guide you, you're, you're being led by the Spirit, whether you know it or not. And he's the one. What do we say? He is the one who will guide us into all truth. He will guide us into all truth. So a Spirit-led person who's trusting in God and being led by the Spirit is being guided and, and, and directed into truth, which is always the will of God, right? He is the one who knows the beginning from the end. He's the one who reveals to us what the will of God is. So when we seek His will and we ask Him for it, He simply says this, I promise that I will show you. Isn't that nice? Yes? I mean, just think about how wonderful that is, child of God, to know, to know, to know that when your trust is in Jesus, he says, trust me, trust me, seek me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but come after me and I will lead you into truth. I will show you what my will is. I will show you what you need to do. I will guide you where your feet need to go. I will open up doors for you and close others. I will bless you and lead you. You will lead a better life when you trust in me, for I will walk you down the path of truth." This is what he's saying. It's a lovely, lovely thing. It's an awesome thing, but our trust must be in Jesus. He is going to lead us the right way. And by the way, how many of us have not taken this seriously, leaned on our own understanding, saw an opportunity that we thought was wonderful, didn't pause to consider what the will of God is, ringing a bell with anybody? And all of a sudden, you got to pay the price for that decision, right? You, you get stuck. And if we, if we don't follow His way as a child of God, You know, we're going to keep getting stuck. We're going to keep wasting time. We're going to keep burning energy, going in the wrong direction until we come to our senses and trust him to lead us the right way. And so this is a core principle to lead a better life. Why burn energy and frustration and time going the wrong way when he simply says, lean not on your own understanding, but trust me and I will guide you the right way. It's simple, so practical, but yet we fail so often not to just follow this simple command. Trust in God, that's number two. So never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Two is trust in God. Third is verse seven and eight, live with humility. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Some of you need some bone strengthening, I think, right? When the cold gets right into your bones, yeah. Humility is a key principle to living a better life. I'm, these are, some of these things are so basic I understand that you already know this because you're very smart. But what I'm doing up here today is reminding you, okay? Reminding you, receive the reminder. Say, yes, pastor. Just receive the reminder that if we do the basic right things, then right things begin to happen, right? If we do what he says, then our lives and the quality of our lives and the impact of our lives for the kingdom can only get better. So he says here, live with humility. He says, look, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Humility is such a key factor to living a better life. See, pride is such a God blocker. It's such, it, it, it's such a, a, a stench, I think, to God. He looks at it and, and, and turns away every time. If you think you're good enough or smart enough or strong enough to do that on your own, Well, good luck to you, and he lets us try. You know, it seems like pride is is a massive wall that is a God blocker, but humility is the foundation for wisdom. Humility opens the door for the leading of the Spirit. Humility opens the door for so many things. Pride leaves you open, by the way, to more temptation because you think you're smart enough, you think you're strong enough, you think you can handle it. You think you're man enough, you know, this kind of nonsense. Pride can leave, can leave you more open to temptation. You become easier prey for the enemy to drop things into your life because you really think you're all that. You know what I mean? Like, you really think you're that wonderful. We don't really say that about ourselves. Uh, well, I sure hope you don't. But some of us still kind of have like vestiges of thoughts like that. I can handle that. I'm okay. I'm good. Live with humility. If you don't, if you don't, you block God. You fail to hear his voice. You leave yourself open to temptation. And a lot of other things wrong can happen to you. He wants us, he wants us not to be impressed with our own wisdom. <laughs> you ever met somebody who in 5 minutes you know that they're quite impressed with themselves? You know, this is not the kind of person that he wants us to be. Look at Proverbs 9:10. He says, uh, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment." So, the fearing the Lord thing, uh, I think about a year, maybe two, two years ago, maybe, um, I did a little mini-series on, on the fear of the Lord, so I, I don't want to get into that right now, but I, I just want to say this, part of fearing the Lord is giving him the respect, the honor, the reverence, right, that he deserves. That's, that's part of it for sure, to remember that he is big and you are small, right? That if you stay humble and recognize your need for him, you will receive his help. You will get strength for your body and healing for your bones. There's, there's goodness that comes from not being impressed with your own wisdom. There's a blessing that follows the humility, right? The promise is for health and wholeness, by the way. That's really what he's saying. It's a promise for health and wholeness, and and sometimes people can be healthy but not whole. You know what I'm saying, right? He's saying, listen, this is a foundational principle for you to lead a better life. The, the, The results of it will be health and wholeness, wholeness, wholeness. Many of us have physical health to a certain degree. But we are not whole on the inside. And so he says, listen, I'm going to give healing for your body. I'm going to give you strength for your bones. But you've got to stay in a place where you are open and receptive and humble enough to receive the goodness that I want to give you. And this is a core, core, core foundational thing. So when we have humility, we're putting ourselves in a place where the Holy Spirit can flourish within us. He can do great things in us and through us. So it's a key to living a better life. That is number three. Number four. Now this one we're going to get a ton of amens about. Woo, just can't wait. Honor God with your wealth. Here we go. Nine and ten. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Somebody said amen. And with the best part of everything you produce. Somebody said amen. Amen. And here's what's going to happen to you. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. That's not a bad promise either. Honor God with your wealth. Number four, core, four principle. Here's a principle, of course, that a lot of us resist. We don't want to do this, right? Money is a topic that's addressed so many times in the Bible, and uh, We'll, we'll, have our, we'll have a little stewardship series later on in the year, but it, 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 it comes up again and again and again and again. And you know why? Because it's not that God needs our money, it's that God needs us to release our money. He wants to make sure that he's God, that he's who we serve, he is the number one person in our lives, that we bow to him and we don't bow to the almighty dollar. And this is why it's important. Right? Look at First Timothy chapter 6, um, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This still happens today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And plenty left over to share with others. He's saying, hey, Solomon said it back here. I'm living it out and I know this is true. He wants the Corinthians to live like this. We need to learn how to honor God and trust him with our money. And it's one of the biggest things that we can't seem to trust him with, right? To a believer, let me just say this. There really is no such thing as a spiritual or material gift. I don't think we should even look at them that way. I just think we should understand that every good thing has come from God, whether it's spiritual, material, every good thing has come from God. We are nothing but stewards. We are nothing but holders for a small period of time of the blessings and the richness that He has trusted us with, right? And, and at one point, he's given it to us, and at one point, it will go when we leave this world. But every good thing we have has come from God, and actually, it belongs to God. And this is the key, key thing that I think we, we struggle to, to jump over that hurdle. So, your car belongs to God. No, not my car. You mean my good car, my lousy car, but no, even your good car. Like, really? Yeah, really. It, it, it's God's. It's His. And so we have to understand, everything has come from God and everything belongs to God. And, and so if we don't regularly give to the Lord, can I say this? Now, you're, now, take a breath. Okay. You ready? If we don't regularly give to the Lord, then we're showing by our actions that we don't trust Him ouch. If we feel like we can't give regularly to the Lord, then we're showing and proving by our actions that we don't trust him to do what he says. Is this true or not? Does Solomon say, honor the Lord with your wealth and he will make sure that your house is full, right? Paul says, give, don't under pressure because some preacher yells at you too. No, 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 I'm not I, I don't want to be that kind of a guy. And and like I've said many times before, giving and money and all these kind of things and stewardship, it's really not about what the church, you know, wants from you. It's really about what what you can what, what you know what you can get in your own life by, yes, you know, there's practical things. The church needs money. We have bills to pay, we have a building to build, we have stuff to do. It's really, God doesn't want your money because he's trying to get something from you. It's because God wants, really, he wants, something for, he wants something to give to you. He wants to give you something if you would just trust him with this, right? Why can we trust him for healing, but we can't trust him with our money? Why can we trust him with our children, but we can't trust him with our cash? You know, it's one of these things that's very difficult for us. If we can't give to him, then honestly, folks, and this is very challenging and convicting, I understand, for all of us, but if we can't give to him, then we're proving by our actions that we just don't trust him to do what he says. It's either true or it's not. And so I have to get to that, that place. See, giving helps us keep our priorities straight, right? It makes sure that I'm saying to you, you're God, not this, this, this is just a gift from you. I believe you said, you said that you'd look after me. You'd say that if I honor you, my house will be full. You said that if I do this, you'll, you'll, you'll make sure that I have enough and enough left over to share with others. You said. And so how about just Christian, Bible-believing person? Why don't you just take him at his word? Man, you're meddling today, PJ. I know. Who do we trust, anyway, honestly? Who do we trust? Do we trust God, or do we trust our cash? Giving prepares us for what God wants to do in us and through us, and it's important. Yeah, but I don't have hardly any money. So, like, what does my, like, $2 do for the building fund? It's not, it's not about the, the amount Remember the widow dropping the thing, the little coin that was worth about a quarter of a cent, and the Pharisees were opening up their wallet and dumping in barrel loads of cash, and, and Jesus looks at them all and says, see that woman? She gave way more than they did, right? Way more, because he saw the trust, the faith, the, the ability to give even out of her need. This is something that we have to wrestle with. And it is a core principle of how we can live a better life in 2018. We need to start trusting God more with our money. Somebody said amen, right? Giving prepares you for what God wants to do in you. Solomon says, honor God with your wealth, and he'll fill you, and he'll bless you. It's either true or it's not. We believe that it's true. So giving is a key to having a better life. Now, so that's four, five, not lastly, because I think we got five more next week, but, but five out of 10, we're hitting the halfway mark here. Uh, <laughs> I was just about to say, I could do the no, yeah, yeah, just pass out sandwiches and coffee and we'll just keep going. No, no, no. Um, no, the, the, the soup is not ready. I need to let it simmer a bit more, but, but here's, here's the fifth one. Verse 11 and 12, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Really interesting verses. And by the way, this is another one that is not our favorite. Oh, we love it when we say, fill us with love and kindness, Jesus. But leave my money alone. Help me to live with humility, but please don't correct me. You know, th- this is one of those that we kind of don't like, you know. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 is a very interesting uh, chapter, and I wanted to read a little chunk of it for you. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and, and, and are not really his children at all. So since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father over spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Listen, we know that discipline is a necessary thing, right? You know that we get more done when you're disciplined at work. You get more done at home when you're disciplined. You you know, we know that as parents that at times our children need to be disciplined. These things have to happen in our lives for us to learn, for us to grow, for us to get better, for us to improve. And the same thing, I believe, is what he's trying to convey here. There are occasions in our lives when the Father must correct us. There's always this refining process that's going on in us. And he's shaping us, right? He's maturing us. He's, he's making us more like Jesus. This is the process that we're all undergoing, right? The word says that he corrects those he loves. So, it, it, see, I think we get that wrong. I, I was thinking, He corrects those he loves. I just had this thought. Some of you are saying, man, he must love me a lot. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You know, but he corrects those he loves. It's true. What good parent doesn't bring discipline and correction and guidance into the life of a child? You let children run wild, there is a long-term consequence for that. We all know that. And so he must help us with this. But he corrects those he loves. And yes, it may not be pleasant, but he delights in us. You understand that? He delights in us. And he loves us so much that he just can't allow us to stay the same. He just can't. When he has so many hopes and dreams and plans for your life, and he sees you mucking around with something that's dragging you down and holding you back, and he's saying, it's time to cut you free so that you can live the life that I've called you to live, that you can be all that I want you to be, that you can accomplish greater things for the kingdom, but you must let these things go, for they are holding you back and stopping you. And this cutting off process, this refining process in our lives, is sometimes not pleasant. But if we're to grow, if we're to mature, it's going to take some pruning, I wish I could prune right now. I don't even know how to prune, but that would just mean it would be spring. So, or do you even prune in the spring? See, I don't even know. But all I know is I just want it to be warmer. So listen, he, he, he wants to prune us. I usually let Helen do the pruning. He wants to bring correction into our lives. And so listen, Here's the truth, and we all know this. We just have some lessons to learn along the way. You know, we learn and we get better and we grow as we journey in this life with Jesus. And some things that we've were, we, we failed at early on in our life, in our, in our journey with Jesus, we've learned that that's something that I need to avoid. He's taught me and corrected me, and I've learned a lesson there, and, and I've moved on. And, and, and this is how we get better. It's, it's a basic principle. So he's saying, listen, please, don't reject the Lord's discipline. He's not abandoning you. He's loving you, right? He's helping you. He's wanting you to be better, to set you free for the plans that he has for you. He is for you, not against you, right? So realize that he's very interested in developing your character. He's very interested in making you more like Jesus. And he is willing to make you uncomfortable at times to accomplish that goal. This is just the truth. So don't see those times as God letting you go, God, God forgetting about you, abandoning you, thinking you're worthless. And the, These are all things that the enemy does, but not our Heavenly Father. It's actually the, the opposite with him. He's, he's loving you enough to make you better, right? He's loving you enough to set you on the right road for you to find a better life and future success. And this must go for you to get to where you need to be. And so he's going to do that. He'll use correction to point us in the right direction. He'll he'll deal with the junk that still is inside of us at times. God knows the things in us that will in the long run bring us more pain and bring us more hurt if it's left unchecked, and He loves us too much to leave it that way. Amen? This is the truth. This is what Scripture says. He loves us so much that He has to discipline us and correct us and guide us in a loving way to where we need to be, and we need to receive that. We need to be open to it. We need to learn those lessons, because if you don't learn the lessons, then you'll have to go through the same thing again, right? Some of us are so thick, we have, to, we have to get, you know, have to go through the same thing eight times before. What? How come? Why did it take me so long, you know? How come I didn't see that the first time, you know? It's, it's kind of like that. But listen, I just want to encourage you today, and we're done. We, we've got to stay open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not condemnation, it's loving conviction to guide us and to point us in the right way. And so we've got to stay open to that. We've got to stay open to the leading and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And listen, when he brings something to your attention, when something comes up in your life and you feel that immediately, this is wrong, this is something, Lord puts his finger on something, take it seriously. Take it seriously. And if you deal with it, and move on from it, it is it is only it it you only will improve because of it. It will lead to a better life. So, Proverbs chapter three. We've got five more next week, but how to have a better life? Never or, or um, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Trust in God, live with humility. Honor God with your wealth. And five is do not reject the Lord's discipline. These are five key principles that if we live these out, we would be on our way to living a better life.